Hey everyone, welcome to Parallel Leaders Podcast, where we come alongside you and your organization, focusing on eight growth points that will inevitably impact everything you are leading. We believe there are eight growth points, not just one. If I was to ask you, is your organization growing? If you're a church leader, you would tell me, you'd give me the numerical number. If you're a business leader, you would give me maybe the bottom line, the financial number. But the truth is, every organization, I believe, has eight growth points that if you grow each one of these, it'll inevitably grow your entire organization. Those eight growth points are the leader must grow. Mm. And the second one is the team must grow. The systems must grow. The numbers must grow. The finances must grow. The expectations must grow. The facilities must grow and the culture must grow. Today's podcast is all about finding inspiration in a world of distraction and boy, is that ever timely. <laughs> I'm joined today by my co-host, Tim Tribble. Welcome, Tim. Thank we you. have an amazing guest today. Why don't you introduce her? Yeah, absolutely. Our guest today is Nona Jones, and she is the author of the book From Social Media to Social Ministry, which is a book that we actually incorporated in building our online presence through our uh, online campus ministry. Not only that, Nona, she's kind of a rare combination of a preacher, business executive, author, and entrepreneur. Currently serves as the Director of North America Community Partnerships and Global Faith Partnerships at Meta, which is a company formerly known as Facebook, and her and her husband lead Open Door Ministries in Gainesville, Florida. This is an interview you're not going to want to miss. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Well, I am so excited about this conversation we're going to have today. Welcome for the first time to our to GoCast, Noah Jones. Nona Jones, we're so excited to have you and so excited to get in this conversation. For those in our audience who aren't uh, familiar with you or your work, why don't you just give us a little yeah, insight into you, what you've been up to, and uh, yeah, what you do. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's it's a pleasure and an honor, truly, to be able to to have this conversation. Um, I'm always amazed when people just want to talk to me about my work in my life because to me, it's just work. So you know, it's it's not something super super special. So I, I just am so honored when we we get to talk about it. But um, so I wear many different hats um, during the day. I support uh, the Global Faith Partnership Strategy for the company known as Meta, formerly known as Facebook. Um, and so my team works with communities of faith, houses of worship all around the world to make sure that the Facebook family of apps, really the Meta family of apps, uh, is meeting their needs. So whether that's Facebook, Instagram, you know, WhatsApp, Oculus Messenger, all of it. Um, that's part of my work. Um, and, and my husband and I, we also pastor a local church in Gainesville, Florida. And so for me, the work that I do um, at Meta is not just theoretical because um, it's it's the, the, the learnings, the insights, the products and the tools are deployed through our local church and our local ministry. Um, I'm also wife, mom, um, author, written a few books. And uh, just love the the work I get to do every day supporting the Big C Church. Yeah, and your the work that you do is very impactful and very inspiring, and have been uh, an admirer of yours for for a while now, and watching you work and and you've impacted your work and your writings have impacted us and our church. And in fact, at the beginning of COVID, um, our team read your your book from social media to social ministry. And we were online and doing that before, so it was quite easy transition. We were closed down as a church and forced to go 100% online, like many churches were. 
Um, and so your book was very timely in in a big way and had a huge impact on what we did and how we did it. Uh, in fact, we actually moved all of our online presence to to Facebook and and for much of the reason that you talked about. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting because a lot of churches had to shift and go online. Some did it well, some not so much. And so uh, I think our GoCast uh, audience would highly benefit from your insight on this topic. So why don't we just start with the premise behind your book? What is the biggest difference between the churches that get it right online and those who do not? Sure. Well, I think it, it fundamentally boils down to intention. It really does. Um, mm-hmm. When when we think about the internet, when we think about social media, it's a tool. It's a tool, which means that depending on our intention, it can be used in multiple ways. You know, a hammer can be used to build a house, uh, but it can also be used as a weapon to harm someone, right? And so right. Uh, I think intention is really what separates the, the churches that are leveraging social technology well from those who are not. The ones who are not leveraging it well are really the ones who see it as kind of a nuisance. They see it right. as, well, we're going to use it because I guess that's where everybody is and we just have to be relevant without realizing that it's a ministry opportunity. You know, um, many churches either fund or plan missions trips, right? We get on planes, we fly across the world in order to serve impoverished populations. And yet social technology enables us to serve people all around the world uh, from the the, the, the hand, our, our palm, the palm of our hand. And I think we discount that. We think, oh, well, it's just another thing. When in fact, it gives us the ability to build the kingdom of God. So the churches who are doing it well are the ones who really understand that social technology gives us the capacity to fulfill the great commission in new and even better ways. I mean, statistically, you know, I know this is more of a Canadian audience, but because I'm in the U.S., I can tell you in the U.S., um, before the pandemic, only about 20% of Americans were attending a weekend worship service. And we know that so many churches focus all of their time and energy and budget on the weekend service. But I mean, that's what, maybe an hour in a building? There's 168 hours in the week. And all of that energy was only serving about 20% of the people, which meant 80% of the people weren't even showing up, right? And so after the pandemic, what we've seen is about 40% of people on average who were attending church before the pandemic are returning. So if you do the math, 40% of 20% is only 8%. That means 92% of the people are not showing up to a building. So social Mm -hmm. technology then, that's where they are. And so we have to adapt our ministry strategies to where the people are, because that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to go make disciples, not stand in the pulpit yep. and wait for people to come to us. That is so good. So let's talk about that that strategy. The And what I loved about your book from social media, that, that just the title says the, the purpose from social media to social ministry, because I think a lot of us and our big shift was we, yeah, we, we were doing online media, broadcasting our services, but the ministry aspect of it 
wasn't necessarily, we weren't connecting there. And so talk about a, a digital, how do you define a digital strategy for a church? Sure. Well, um, it's funny, uh, when I was writing the book, so I, I started writing the book back in 2018, and my publisher said at the time, you know, we'll release this in 2020. And I remember thinking, man, that's like forever away. But that gave me an opportunity to really refine and hone the message. So I was writing the book all the way up to like the spring of 2020. And then, of course, COVID wow. happened. And I was like, man, God's divine providence, because I was then able to adapt the book uh, for for that type of a scenario where you're 100% online. I think the, the most important central element of your online strategy for social ministry is it has to be discipleship centric. What yeah. I mean by that is a lot of times online strategies are content focused. It's right. all about the content. You know, we got to get the right graphic. We got to get the right video out there. We got to get the likes. We got to get the comments. We got to get the shares. But discipleship is not just about likes, comments, and shares. Discipleship is focused on getting people into community with each other and giving them the tools they need to grow in their faith together. That's an entirely different framework than many churches have been using with online ministry, right? Because online ministry has been about posting the graphics, going live, having people watch the live stream, but that's not getting them into community and that's not helping them grow in their faith. And so uh, I coined the term digital discipleship because that's really what the goal is and should be. And the mindset is not just about using content to get likes, but using content to promote conversation, using content to get people into community with each other. So they're challenging each other, they're growing together, and then using these different platforms almost as kind of like a, a funnel to get people into relationship with each other. And that has to be the guiding question. It's not just about, hey, do we have a presence on YouTube? Do we have a presence on Snapchat? Do we have a presence on Instagram and Facebook? But how do we use that presence in order to get people into community with each other, which is why I spend a lot of time in the book talking about Facebook groups, because yeah. groups is such a different platform and very few churches were using them before the pandemic. Thankfully, many, many more are using them now, um, but many were not because it was all about content consumption. And so that's really the difference. I think that the, the whole anchor, the bedrock of a digital discipleship strategy is getting people into community with each other. And it's not just on Facebook. It's using tools like Zoom, uh, you know, your text blast services, WhatsApp, messenger threads, using all the technology you have at your disposal to make sure people are growing in their faith together. That's so good and that, so enlightening in many ways. And that's that's the big shift that we made after reading your book was we're like, wait, okay, we can get views and we measure you know, how successful we're being online by our views. But we're like, wait, we don't have the names behind that. We don't have, we're not discipling behind that, you know, all of that. And so we created small groups uh, around Facebook groups, around Zoom and, and built a congregation online. And I think what's amazing about if we've learned anything through the pandemic as pastors is that online ministry is not going away. And, um, and I, that's, that's good. And there's many people that we're able to reach that we're never we were never reaching before, as the church. Can I can I offer this? I, I yeah. think I've heard so many pastors say, "Oh, I can't wait to get back to normal." Let me help you 
this is the new normal. <laughs> yes. There is literally no going back. Um, this right. idea that somehow some point in time, we're going to be overwhelmed by a ton of people coming to the building. I can assure you, people have gotten really used to online church. So much so that pastors have gotten used to online church. I've talked to many pastors who really appreciate being able to record their message during the week and watch themselves while eating breakfast at home. That's just that's just kind of the new normal that we're in. And we have to embrace it. So rather than fighting it, wishing it was different, let's just see it as an opportunity to lean even more into the new dimension of ministry that God is calling us to. That's so good. Uh, for for the record, I do not like watching myself at any point in time. That's just, that's just the way that... I, but it's, it's very helpful as a communicator. It's amazing when you do. Uh, what happens with that. So what advice would you give to to the pastors, leaders listening who are trying to figure out online ministry uh, and how they can move beyond just broadcasting, you know, and uh, service and getting just the views, but really connecting using some of the tools like you had talked about, what advice would you give them uh, on moving forward and how to build an online congregation? Because that's really what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I would say, number one, I think a lot of times we make it way more complicated than it is because it's a different medium than we're used to. Like we're used to, you go to the building, you have a program, you finish the program, you leave, you go home. Whereas online, it's it's open 24 hours a day. There is no building to go to. And so I think the, the advice that I would give is, the, the question is, how can you replicate what you're doing in your building and make it accessible to people online. So for example, if you have a weekly Bible study, well, you know, when you're online, you're no longer constrained by a date, time, or location. And so perhaps instead of having a weekly Bible study, maybe you empower people in your congregation to host daily Bible studies in your Facebook community where now they can go live every day from their living room, from their car, from their office, wherever, uh, to do maybe just a 15, 20, or 30-minute discussion in the Bible. You can use a tool like Rooms, Facebook Rooms in groups, where you can get a group of people together and you can go live in the group and people can watch the conversation taking place. Um, So really the question is, how do we adapt our ministry model that we do in person? How do we adapt that to the online space. It's not about creating something really weird and off the wall. It's really about asking yourself, well, what works that we're doing now that we can simply make available um, online? And so that's where I would start. It's start with what you have and adapt it to the online space. And just, you know, as a pastor, your people are going to be excited about what you're excited about. And so if you're the one who's like, oh man, you know, I really don't like this online thing. I really, I really would just wish people would return to the building, then they're not going to be excited about it either. But if you're the one who's like, you know what, our ministry wants to be accessible everywhere that you are. If you want to come to the building, we're here. Uh, If you can't make it to the building, guess what? You can still log on. And we're so excited about how God is moving and how he's offering these ways we can stay connected. The people will pick up on that and they'll connect with that. So just think about how do we adapt what we're doing in person to the online space, to someone who doesn't live in our city, doesn't live in our state, but they're connected with us online. That's so, so good. So well said. I'd, I'd like to press into um, an observation that, and I just want to get your, your thoughts on this. Uh, 
an observation is that I've discovered that we think, well, on you know, the preconceived idea on online ministry is that, well, it's not, you can't connect as close as you can in person. Actually, I've, I, I've discovered it's, I think it's actually the opposite, that we live in a society today where people are more willing to open up and be vulnerable online, somehow behind a screen they feel safer, or I'm not sure what it is. But it is, am I reading that right? Like the people seem to be more open online than they are in the lobby of the church, and the conversations online happen seem to be deeper for some reason than what would happen in in on person. I mean, you're a pastor, and in you know, and with Meta and all of this. Are do you? Am I on the right track? Do you see that same thing? Oh yeah, yeah, I see. I mean, look, over the last couple of years, um, since you know, COVID really forced even us to have to go fully online for for a season. I mean, I learned more about people I had been so-called doing church with for decades just over the last year, year and a half than I knew about them for the 20-something years that we had been worshiping together in person. And that's because, you know, when you're in the building, you're mostly just kind of in listen mode, if you think about it, right? Like you're in listen mode, maybe you're just exchanging, you know, pleasantries. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Fine. Great to see you. Have a great day. That's about it. It's very, very surface. When you're online, however, because, and, and this has been scientifically researched and proven, uh, because of the, um, the, the filter of the screen, people feel a degree of safety that they would not normally feel in person. And that's also why you see some of the, um, some of the less pleasant sides of humanity, you know, people trolling people, uh, people who normally wouldn't do that in real life, but they do it on, on, online because the screen, it just, it makes people feel safe to right. really kind of be their authentic selves. And so, yes, I think we have to recognize that that is a blessing. We learn more about each other sometimes online than we do in person. So true. So talk to us about some of the best practices you've seen or, or that you've used or that you've seen other churches use that really help uh, disciple you know, somebody online. So someone tunes into a service and then we take them from a, a consumer to part of our community to then that discipleship discipleship aspect that you're talking about. Like what are, what are some of the best practices, tips you could give us on, on how to make disciples online? Sure. Well, I think one of the most important ones is you have to think about your online presence as a, a continuum or at least as a funnel where people who, you know, watch your live stream, that's kind of the top of the funnel. That's like the beginning of the process. So you want to integrate into that live stream a call to action that will get them connected to your church in some way. So it could be, um, you know, text Jesus to 855-051, and then they can give you their cell number, they can give you their email address so that you can follow up with them. And when you follow up with them, you can then say, hey, you know, click this link. I'm just making this up. Click this link to this Google Google form uh, and let us know what your interests are. Are you having challenges in your marriage? Are you have challenges in your finances? Are you having challenges in your, you know, employment? Because we have programs that we would love to connect you with in order to help you in these areas of life. Well, click on challenges in their marriage. Now you're able to connect them with your marriage ministry, or maybe you have a counseling team Um, so that you can actually have a conversation with them to find out how you can be helpful. Now that they're connected to that, maybe you have small groups that they can plug into, right? So they can plug into these small groups with other married couples 
Now they're in community. Um, not only are they in community and a small group level, but maybe you get them connected to your Facebook group. So they're connected with the bigger, broader church community. And so you're using all of these tools in order to get them more and more deeply embedded uh, within the community of your church. So now they're not just part of an audience watching your live stream. They're actually part of your church community and they're, they're receiving value from your church. That is critical. And that's really how we have to think is for people who you know are watching us online, how do we deliver more value to them? How do we make sure that they feel seen, that they feel valued, and that they're getting something out of this versus just kind of coming to watch us you know, talk or coming to watch us teach? So those are some of the best practices. I would also say um, one of the most important best practices is uh, make your services, this is for your live stream on the front end, make them as tight as possible. Um, sometimes we, we get into a mode where service just goes on and on and on. There's a bunch of filler time. It's, it's not very, uh, organized. I've even seen churches that have like 15 minute countdown timers. The thing about it is the people are there. Like, it's not like, it's not yeah. like at the church building where you have to like get people from the parking lot, from the foyer. No, they're there. If it's a 15 minute countdown, they're gone. They're gone in like three seconds. I tell most churches, I say, listen, have a one minute countdown at the most 30 seconds is even better <laughs> just so people know oh it's happening it's happening now they're dialed in um but again have that cta so that you can get people connected with your church and it can start with the text uh it can start with you know a qr code but something very simple that will get them plugged into uh your church processes that's so good and and very very helpful like it's i feel uh, yeah, as I read your book, I felt uh, almost foolish, and and the reason being, I, I'm think I'm speaking for pastors, so I felt foolish as a pastor because when you talk about discipleship, we do all of that, moving people from one level to the next. We do all of that in person, and that's intuitive to us. But somehow there's a disconnect from us as pastors doing that with a room full of people and saying we got to we got to disciple them and you know get them into small groups and get them connected to one another that's intuitive for us and what's going on in our church buildings but somehow that didn't translate into into the online ministry and just your book enlightened gave a whole lot of very practical tips and we took your calendar that you have in the book, and again, I'm, I'm just going to plug this for every pastor that wants to do online ministry. You got to get this book because we took your calendar and we just plugged it in and we started doing it. And just a testimony to, to give you as well: we just had somebody, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that came up to me, and they moved provinces. They moved from a ways away. They moved to uh, one of our campuses, our physical campuses. Moved into town, found a job because they felt so connected to our church. They had been watching online, um, a ways away away, and said, "I got, I got to go and uh, get more close to the relationships and all of that." So, and it's, I was like, it, "It just, I want to thank you because you just made it so simple, so attainable." And it, it's just like I read it and went, "Well, duh, we do that everywhere else. Why don't we do that online?" So, so <laughs> help us with that. Why, why is there a disconnect between in discipleship in you know, even just you just kind of you said social media is meant to be social, and yet we broadcast. Why is there such a disconnect for for us in, especially as pastors, in using this to disciple? Why 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 the disconnect? 
I honestly, I think it's because um, we have, we've fallen into a bit of a rut about what church is. You know, we, we, we think church is, it's a program people watch. And so because of that, in our minds, mm. and, and I saw this in, in the pandemic, like uh, people's, the extent of their online church was a live stream. And that's because we've equated church with the program without realizing that the building is where the people gather, but that's not the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the community. And so I think getting out of that kind of um, mental block has been so important. And it it requires a paradigm shift, which is why, um, so that the title from social media to social ministry I started writing the book without a title. Like I didn't even have a title for it. And I was praying. I was like, well, Lord, what am I going to call this thing? And I was walking out of my office one day. I remember it so clearly. And I heard the Lord say from social media to social ministry. And that's exactly what this is about. It's about getting back to ministry. We're not doing a program. We're ministering to people. We're meeting their needs. We're helping them grow in their faith. We're getting them into community. And that's our call. And, And we should be doing that online, in person, now in the metaverse, (laughs) wherever uh, we can, because that's what we've been called to do. That is so good. Now, there's a lot of pastors that perceive that, you know, going to online ministry is cost prohibitive. And again, that, that, so there's a fear of stepping out in that. So can you, can you speak to that about, you know, that, that mentality that by having social ministry and, and by going online and live streaming a service that we just can't afford it. So, Oh, I love this question. I love this question so much because I often notice that when we think about church, because our model is, is a building, we think it's so costly because with the building, it is costly. You have, you know, rent, you have utilities, you have liability insurance, you have all of this, but Online ministry requires none of that. (laughs) Um, The platforms are free. You know, you can certainly subscribe to different types of, you know, restreaming services and things like that. But for the most part, they're free. It really is just a function of having a vision, having a vision for what you want your online church to be and how you can replicate and adapt your offline services and programs and communities to that online space. Um, I would say it's it's not cost prohibitive, but it definitely requires an investment of time. It requires yeah. an investment of time and it requires an investment of passion. I think that really is the most important thing uh, for me, what drives me and why even you sharing that testimony just it lights my heart on fire because, you know, I'm not okay knowing that 92% of people in America are not attending a church service. Like I'm not okay with that. And so for me, it's like, all right, if they're not going to be in a building, we got to make sure we're, we're helping them connect with their faith and their community online. Um, I think though, unfortunately as pastors and, you know, speaking transparently as someone who's in that space, I think we have to kind of decouple and detach our ego from attendance. Many times I think we want to get back into the building because having people in the building and eyes looking at us and hands clapping for us, it makes us feel good. But that's to the detriment and the expense of the 92% of people who need Jesus. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that we get back to a place of humility and longing and passion um, so that we're no longer allowing things like, oh my gosh, what's this going to cost me when it's really free? 
what's this going to cost me to be the blocker? It's going to cost you time. Um, yeah. And it's, it's going to cost you vision. And, and that's that's about it. So good. And you can reach people like that would never don the doors of a church. You can reach them uh, for and souls that will jump online. And, and the impact of that is amazing. It's, it's remarkable to me, too. And I tell pastors this when they ask me that question about the cost prohibitive. I was like, the camera that you have in your smartphone is better than cameras that were available five, six, seven years ago. Um, and man, we can... Uh, we can start wherever. And again, it's not about having the big show or the big production. It's about having the relational connection. Can I tell you what blessed me so much? Um, when, when the pandemic was was spinning up and, you know, everyone was kind of scrambling and didn't know what to do. Of course, there are those mega churches that have always had just stunning, you know, recordings and visuals and transitions and all that. But the thing that blessed me the most is I saw church after church where someone just took a camera just kind of leaned it up against something and went live and they were preaching the word and you could see like it wasn't there was they might have had some lights like some ring lights but it wasn't fully produced but the passion was there and and they were doing the best they could that blessed me so much more than the mega churches that have the million dollar led backgrounds yeah. because i knew the people who had just the smartphone, they were giving it their all. And, and, and we will be rewarded. This is the other thing I think about, even as a preacher, we, we are storing up heavenly rewards yeah. for the things that we do. When we, when we look at our hands and we don't see all the resources, but we do see some hands that are willing to work, right? God rewards that. And we yeah. have to remember that. You don't have to have all the lights and the glitz and the glam. Just have to have a willing heart and use what resources God has placed at your your disposal. Yeah. So, what would you say to that pastor that feels like, man, we I can't go online, or I don't feel like I can put my preaching online because I don't have the platform that some of these big mega churches, or I don't preach like, and we we all have names we fill in the blank, you know, and that, and so they feel intimidated to go online because they feel like they can't compete. Like what? What do you what do you say to those pastors? Oh man, I love this question. Let me tell you this. Um, if you feel like you can't compete, it's because you can't, yeah. it's because you have never been created to compete. God didn't right. create you to compete with another church. He didn't create you to, to compete with another pastor. God created you to go and make disciples. And if there is one person who hears your message and receives Jesus as Lord, you are going to get as much of a reward in heaven as the pastor who's reaching the thousands and the hundreds of thousands and the millions. As a matter of fact, you may get even more of a reward because you're taking what little you have and you're yeah. willing to do whatever God calls you to do with it. You know, it doesn't take a lot. Um, and I think sometimes we do, we, we look at, you know, what's happening in other ministries and we think, oh man, I could never do that. Well, probably, but do what you can, because yeah. that's what God is going to reward. God is going to say, just like with the parable of the talents, right? What did you do with the one talent I gave you? What did you do with the three? What'd you do with the five? Because that's what we're going to be judged for. So don't worry about competing with others. We can't, <laughs> but we can live out the unique call that God has placed on our life. That's so good. I think I think it was in your book as well, but you really helped me with this mentality or that that fear, whether I would have verbalized it or not, of saying, Well, I you know, I can't compete, we can't compete with such and such or this church or or not. But the one thing uh I believe it was you that said that that we 
you know, we might not be able to preach like Stephen Furtick or get his reach, all the rest of it, but we can, we can't, he can't have the relationship connection with the people we're reaching uh, as well. And that is the, that's, that's how we make disciples right there. That's powerful. That's exactly right. And I think sometimes we miss that. Like, uh, and this is what I'm about to say is absolutely nothing against, you know, pastors that have very large ministries. But if you look at Jesus, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Jesus had, you know, the 12 disciples, but they weren't his bodyguards. Like they weren't keeping people from him. As a matter of fact, he rebuked them when they tried to separate him from the people. And so being in a smaller church context is actually a blessing because it enables you to be even more like Christ and to be accessible to the people, um, to be a part of their lives. Uh, and I think that's, that's a gift. That really is a gift. So I, I wouldn't worry about, and I, you know, I thankfully, because I'm, I'm in these circles where I'm preaching in a lot of these larger churches, I don't have security. I don't have bodyguards, but I see people who do, and it's not always a blessing, you know, they want to interact with people, but then there are safety concerns because some people are crazy. Let's just be honest. (laughs) But if you're in a smaller church context and you can have that one-on-one type of relationship, that's exactly what Jesus did. That was his ministry. That is so good. So well said. And I think as, you know, as we, our church has grown, I think that's the thing that I miss the most is not being able to have that personal connection with, with everyone. Let, let's talk about the metaverse. You brought it up uh, briefly. Uh, this is the, this is the new, I, I guess, shiny uh, object and which is, which is off, which is awesome. And I love that churches are exploring this. And then when anything new comes, there's other churches are saying, well, that's not, and we go into all that kind of, <laughs> which we've done with every change in technology ever throughout history. But let's talk about the metaverse and what you see and where you see it going. Yeah. So this is what's so funny to me. Um, so I, I've been doing interviews about um, social technology for ministry for many years. And one of the questions I would always be asked is, so like, what's next? What's on the horizon? And for years, uh, I had been saying, you know, virtual reality. And people were like, we can't even imagine what that would be. So it's really interesting. and It's really cool to see people beginning to explore it. Um, because essentially what, what the metaverse is, is, and I tell people, if you really want to understand what the metaverse is, you're going to have to just buy like an Oculus headset and experience it for yourself. Cause I can describe yeah. it, but until you do it, until you're in it, then it'll click. But what the metaverse is, it's really about immersive technology. It's about immersive social technology. So you can create virtual spaces where people can connect. Um, but because it's immersive, you know, we're connecting, of course, you know, in our avatar form, but we're connecting, we're having conversations, um, and there's more of a, a visual experience, and there's an auditory experience um, that takes place. So now you're not just in, you know, a kind of two-dimensional situation. Now it's three-dimensional. And so when you talk about ministry, there are some churches who have been doing this for years. In particular, I always give a shout out to VR Church, um, Pastor DJ Soto, who's been in the metaverse He's, he's like the pioneer. Um, yep. He's been in the metaverse for like a decade now. And he's built a church of about a thousand people and it's fully in the metaverse. So it's not like he has an offline church and meta- no, he's been doing this. This is his one church. Um, so it's been exciting to see. And here's the blessing of it, y'all. This is why I think this is so important. So you may have never had an atheist walk into your church. Like you probably, have, I mean, I know I haven't. 
at my church in over 20 years. I've, I've never seen an atheist come into our church, but in VR church, in virtual reality, the predominant population of people using these tools are either atheist or agnostic. So wow. you're talking about a mission field of people. And so DJ, he's even said this, he's had atheists just like stumble into his, to his church just because they were curious, like, well, what's, what is this? And, and, yeah. and they, you know, accepted Jesus as Lord. And now they're serving as deacons and deaconesses in the metaverse. I mean, it's amazing. So I, I'm just so excited about the potential here in the harvest fields um, that God's placed in front of us. If that's not motivation enough right there to be able to reach, yeah, I mean, again, people, th- those people aren't going to walk the doors of our, our buildings or, or walk our halls necessarily right away, not initially anyway, and that, that is awesome. So how does, where does a church start? Well, again, I would say the first place to start is just to get yourself familiar <laughs> yeah, with yeah. it. So you want to, you know, get an Oculus. I would recommend visit vrchurch.org. That's that's the first place to start because you'll see the instructions there for how to even attend a VR church service. I think that's really, really important um, to attend the service. DJ has been doing some free webinars, um, how to launch a church in the metaverse in three days. Um, and you'll see some of that information on his website. Um, but the first place to start is immerse yourself in what VR church is, what it can look like. And then from there, you can make a decision. You can do one of two things. Um, you can even either make the investment in developing your own VR church. Um, and you can use a platform like, you know, um, Altspace VR or uh, Horizon Rooms, which is by Facebook, by Meta. Um, that's, that's an investment that you can make. Or you can just decide we're going to partner with VR Church and uh, we're going to recommend that people attend VR Church, you know, and we're going to partner with DJ and, and support what he's doing. So there's many ways to go. But step one is to commit yourself to experiencing it. And then from there, you can make a decision about which which path you want to take. I love that. That's very, very cool. All right. Let's this has been such an enlightening conversation. So thank you so, so much. What are what are you most passionate about right now? What, what's got you most excited for the future, both personally and for the Big C Church? Well, so, um, well, personally, I, uh, I have a new book coming out in September uh, of this year, and it's called, um, it's called Killing Comparison. I'm really Ooh. excited about it because uh, I think as someone who, who works in the business world, as well as in social media, as well as in the church, I see the impact that comparison-born insecurity has on people, um, and it makes you feel like you just don't measure up, like you're never enough. And, and God has been so gracious. He's taken me through a process over the last couple of years to help me get free from my own insecurity. And I, I basically packaged in this book what that roadmap was. And so I'm just really excited about getting this out into the world so that people can fully stand in the identity uh, that God has given to all of us um, and, and the worth so and the good. value that we have intrinsically. So I'm super excited about that on the personal front. Um, I think on the ministry front, I'm always excited about doing this work and just supporting churches as they're exploring how to lean even more into digital discipleship. I believe that that is the new dimension of ministry that we're in. Um, I don't believe that that's where we're going. That's where we are. Yep. <laughs> so many people, they're like, Oh, well, what's, what's next? I'm like, no, that's not next. That's now. So helping churches lean into this more, um, is a super, super passion of mine. And and I'm just really excited to continue to do it. 
Well, thank you for all that you do and, and for your voice. And, and I just want you to know that you've got a, a global reach and we're, we're uh, big fans of you in Canada and so appreciate the impact that you've had on, on us and on many churches that we know and uh, so appreciate you and your ministry. Is there anything in closing that I should have asked that you wish I would have asked? Actually, this was a really great conversation. I think you covered a lot of it, so no. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nova, for, for again, for your voice and for uh, man, sharing with us today. And I know uh, all in our audience are uh, thrilled to have, to have heard from you and get insights and ideas. And again, uh, if you haven't read from social media to social ministry, got to get that excited about your new book as well. And where can someone find you on, online? Sure. Well, I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all have the same handle. It's at Nona, not Nora. Um, Nona, not Nora. You can find me there. Um, and my website is just nonajones.com. Yeah, I saw your handle and that made me smile. I, was, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much again and bless you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. What an amazing conversation with Nona, man. There's so much gold in there, so many takeaways. Man, what stood up to you? Absolutely. As you know, my wife and I run the online campus, and when we went into Nona's book, the biggest thing that stood out to me, which she reverberated in this uh, interview, is think about your online presence as a funnel. So defining easy steps to gradually bring people from the community into the core. So it's not just broadcasting, but it's taking those steps and like this is a, a tension that we've been trying to manage is like, how do I take somebody from the other side of the screen on the other side of the world, possibly, and feel, and make them feel like they're part of a close knit home group community. And that's what really stood out to me again is it's a it's the title of her book, right? Really social media to social ministry. But yeah. it's the building of community that is so, so important. Totally. And by taking these strategies, and I highly recommend every pastor leader to read her book from social ministry to social or from social media to social ministry, because there's so much gold in there. And in this conversation, you can, she touched on, on much of it, but it's really about building community and pastoring people, not just broadcasting. And I want to encourage you at the end of every episode, we want to give you a plan of action from today's coaching conversation. And we want to take an honest review of your current online media strategy, encourage you to do that. And is it more broadcast or is it more community focused? And what can you improve, rework or eliminate to make it more effective and encourage you to do that? Yeah, absolutely, Kelly. And in her book, she gives so many helpful tips that if you were to work through the systems and bring people in on a more community level, you'll see the turnaround results almost immediately. I know that we have in our online campus and yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Parallel Leaders podcast. Make sure you grab the application guide for this episode on our website at parallelleaders.com, which includes a summary of our conversation and questions for group discussion. Yeah, we hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and better equipped to move forward. At the end of the month, we have an interview with one of our listeners. I'm very, very excited about that. And next month, we're going to be exploring growing your culture. And I have an interview with Pastor Larry Bry of Elevation Church, and that podcast will drop on Monday, June 6th. Had the opportunity, Kelly, many times to hear Larry Bry speak. And I'll tell you, this podcast, again, it's another one you're not going to want to miss. The lineup coming up in these next coming months is your... Just don't miss it, period. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Well, that's it for today. Don't forget to rate and review us if you found this content helpful and subscribe wherever you are consuming this content to never miss an episode release. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Parallel Leaders, where we help you target and evaluate your organization, leadership, or growth department under the microscope of eight growth points to optimize your effectiveness as a leader.